I am Berto, and this is Modern Immigrant. Welcome, everybody, to a new episode of Modern Immigrant, as every Wednesday, we're here bringing you a new immigration story. And before we start and I introduce my guest, I want to remind you of our Instagram account at Modern Immigrant, where we're always sharing information about the guests, about the episodes, and about our immigration experiences. You can also check our website, modernimmigrant.com where you can find all the information, like the store we have, the amazing merch that we have, the immigrant classes that we're supporting, and also our book club. Okay, so today Rafael is with us, and I'm really excited because this was such an amazing interview and such an amazing conversation that I had that I can't wait for you to listen to it. Rafael is an immigrant, and he's also a doctor. He's also the writer of his memoir, Can Let Go?, which I have right here. I recently uh, received this copy and I'm really excited. I started reading it and it's just beautiful. A journey from the heart of Africa to, to America. We're going to talk about his memoir. We're going to talk about his immigration for, from the Democratic Republic of Congo to the U.S. about 50 years ago. We talk about all the different immigration journeys, all the different immigration experiences he had experienced over the last years, all the learnings. And there's so much information of things that you're going to really appreciate if you're an immigrant. And even if you're not an immigrant, I think this episode, it's going to inspire you teach you and just connect you with a wonderful story. Thank you so much for being here. Don't forget to subscribe if you're watching us on YouTube or if you're listening on Spotify or on Apple Podcasts. We are on all the podcast platforms, so don't forget to subscribe. And don't forget to let us know what's your favorite part of this episode and to connect. If you check the links in the description, you'll find information on where to get Rafael's book and also where to support his organization. So thank you so much for being here and enjoy this episode. Remember that if you want to make donations to this podcast to support production, you can check out buymeacoffee.com slash modernimmigrant. Any donation is really, really appreciated and it helps us to keep going. Thank you so much for the ones that are always there supporting So today we have Rafael with us here in Modern Immigrant, and I want to say welcome. I'm so excited that you're here. I want to thank you, and uh, thank you for the opportunity. I'm glad to be here. Yeah, thank you so much. It's always exciting to explore immigration stories, and I can't wait to explore yours. And I think a great point to start will be asking you, when did your immigration journey start, and from where to where? Well, um was uh, barely 18, 17 and a half to be exact, uh, from the Democratic Republic of Congo. Uh, you know, that's a country that uh, a lot of people know under different names. Uh, it used to be uh, called the uh, Belgian Congo because it was a Belgian colony. From there, uh, it became independent in 1960, and it was referred to as Congo Leopoldville or Congo Kinshasa from the capital, and distinguishing it from uh, the other Congo, because there's also a Congo Brazzaville. Oh. Uh, the, um, a lot of people, I'm sure, would relate to it as Zaire. Mm -hmm. Zaire is where they had the uh, rumble in the jungle with Muhammad Ali. I don't know if that means anything to you. 
It does but, a little uh, bit, that yeah. Was Zaire for a couple of decades, and uh, it's been the Democratic Republic of Congo since 1997. So that's where I'm from. Okay. Uh, left there about 50 years ago. Wow. And you left as a teenager, which I know it always brings, you know, in a specific story, I feel, at that age, the arriving to a new country. Where specifically did you arrive in the U.S.? And, and what are some things that you remember from that experience of, you know, being new, being new immigrant in the U.S.? <laughs> One of the things that I uh, really remember is something that I don't remember very well. I'll, I'll explain this. <laughs> okay, I like that. Uh, as I said, at uh, 17, I just finished secondary school. Uh, at an admission at Amherst College, Amherst in Massachusetts. And um, I didn't even wait for the graduation ceremony or uh, the, the commencement, whatever. I took off and um, was very excited. I mean, it was the first time I was on overseas. Right. And then I got on the plane in... Brussels on my way to New York, and I freaked out. I freaked out because I got on the plane, and um, as, as soon as I sat down, I heard these people speaking. They were speaking English, of course, American English, and I thought I could understand a little bit of English, but I just couldn't. And when I sat down and I said, whoa, what am I getting into? So I, I remember that incident and the panic, but I don't remember the rest of the trip because I was so panicked and I was so, um, I was out of it. I, I, you know, I learned later that I was having a panic attack because I just, all of a sudden I realized I'm going somewhere by myself I don't understand what they're saying. I don't speak the language. And it was it was frightening. Um, so yeah. that, I, I remember that part of the experience and it, it uh, stuck with me. So I was on the way from uh, there to Georgetown uh, University in Washington. That's where I went to the uh, uh, English Language Institute. I, okay. I had to take some... English classes for a couple of months mm. before I started school at uh, Amherst College. Interesting. So it it is. First, uh, yeah. I don't remember being in New York City at all. I wow. landed at JFK, but I don't remember that. Uh, I barely remember flying from JFK to Washington, D.C. But once we got there, I met some students who were in the same boat that I was and I started feeling a little more uh, comfortable mm. started the uh, English uh, classes and you know it and the rest is history yeah <laughs> I, I love that introduction and I love hearing how we get to remember those experiences mm. more as a feeling right like you remember yes. what you felt Yes, yeah. yes, and I felt terrible because I was afraid not so much of not 
surviving or anything, but, you know, my purpose, my reason for coming here was to go to school and, you know, study, get my degree. And I was telling myself, well, how am I going to do this if I can't even understand what they're saying? I can't even speak. You know, I can, you know, in um, secondary school, I mean, we did take some English classes. I mean, we probably had one or two. You know, we we would uh, say good morning. (laughs) (laughs) How are you today? (laughs) But that's so different from like learning. Very, very different. And uh, so I was I was afraid I had a lot of ideas going through my head. You know, what if I don't make it? What if I have to go back? You know, what am am I going to explain this? And um, so, yeah, I think it was all of those questions I started asking myself in that very second. And um, I think that was the thing that was frightening. Definitely, definitely. You're really brave for taking on that journey by yourself. And I also hear that it sounds like finding some connections and some people along the way was helpful, especially those first years as a student. How was that connecting with other maybe immigrants, other international students? Like, did that help to have support? Extremely, extremely important, extremely useful. Yeah. As I mentioned, the um, I probably just have to tell you that I came here with the help of an organization called the African American Institute, and they were uh, that's an organization that was sponsoring some undergrad as well as graduate students to come to the U.S. You know, get degrees, hopefully go back. And um, so I was not the um, only uh, student. So when I got to D.C., I got to meet some of the other students that um, were under the sponsorship. Uh, there were maybe, I would say, about half a dozen of us. Okay. Uh, there were students from Tunisia, um, Algeria, Ivory Coast. Most of these were French-speaking uh, students because okay. we were essentially in the same boat. So yeah. meeting them, comparing notes... Uh, was actually very, uh, it was helpful in a couple of different ways. One was that, okay, I realize I'm not the only one in this boat. And, yes. you know, telling myself, well, you know, if this guy can do it, I certainly can. I I, <laughs> I also can. And um, also the, just the fact that when we were together, you know, we could compare notes a little bit, reminisce a little bit. And because even though we were from different countries, we still had a lot of in common. Um, 100%. And so we, you know, could speak French a little bit and then and de-stress, you know, because when you're learning a new language and you're trying to speak it and, and understand its work, it's mentally taxing. So it was um, easy to be able to just de-stress a little bit, move back, you know, speak a little French, you know, talk about Africa and um, listen to some music, good music. And so that was very, very helpful. Uh, And the um, other thing that uh, was also very helpful at the very beginning was that at the time that I came, Mm -hmm. I came at the end of June, uh, June 1970, uh, the independence of the Congo is June 30th. So 
just a few days after I arrived to uh, Washington, they had an uh, independence celebration at the embassy in uh, Washington, and they invited uh, a few people. So I'm not exactly sure how I found out about it, yeah. but um, somehow uh, I borrowed a jacket. I didn't have I didn't have a suit or nothing. I borrowed a jacket from my uh, roommate from Tunisia, put on my jacket and my uh, white shirt and found my way to the uh, reception. So very early, I, I got to meet some people from the Congo because they are mostly Congolese who were um, invited there. I mean, there were obviously a lot of other people, but uh, there were a lot of Congolese as well at the um, uh, function. So we, we got to interact a little bit, and uh, some of them had been here for a while, for mm. quite a while, and that helped. That helped mm. tremendously. You know, because uh, again, uh, as I said, feeling and, and knowing that yes, there are people who came from the same background, and they seem to be doing pretty well. They they seem yeah. to be doing well. So that was reassuring for me, and uh, very very helpful. Very helpful. Thank you for speaking on this, and and I think that's something that all immigrants can relate to having someone there seeing someone succeeding and also failing and understanding that that's going to be part of the process and and we can get up and and continue again um i i would love to ask you in this journey you have been here already for many years you have a whole life um in the usa so I'm sure there were like different stages, right? Like you were, where you felt differently in terms of missing home, wanting to go back, creating a new home for you here. So can you speak a little bit on those different parts and different stages of an immigration journey and it, based on your experience, of course? Yes. Um, yeah, my experience may be a little bit different, at least the first third, I would say would be a little bit different than um, a lot of the uh, immigrants, especially the current crop of immigrants that we're getting. Because as I mentioned, uh, when we came, when I came, and and, and a lot of people, I think, in, in that generation, we came to study. And yeah. we came with the idea of going back. So it wasn't really a situation where we're eager to go to the U.S. and stay there and make a life there. So my experiences were a little bit different. So even though I had all of the issues that um, some of those we've mentioned, uh, you know, being isolated, uh, being by myself, uh, because once I left D.C., I was the only Congolese at Hammers. When I got to Rochester, I was the only Congolese in Rochester, um, and there were just a few Africans. So even though I had all of those uh, issues, and even though I didn't see my family for eight years, I mean, when I came here, I didn't go back for eight years. I always had that uh, uh, something that was telling me, okay, it's going to be all right. This is going to be for a while. You're going to be able to go back. So uh, and that helped me in a way to deal with some of the uh, issues that a lot of people may experience, you know, being separated, uh, being uh, away, 
especially if you know that this is it and this is for a lifetime. So things changed a little bit for me because I got in a situation where I couldn't go back because things had gotten so bad in the Congo. Uh, if you know uh, something about uh, the history of the Congo, and, and I told you a little bit about the changes in names, and then that's all of that is related to instability, wars, I mean, all kinds of things, all kinds of problems. So a lot of people, including um, some members of my family, were leaving. They wanted to get out, and they were leaving, and they absolutely categorically told me, listen, don't come back. <laughs> don't come back. So I couldn't go back. I mean, I did go back to visit, but I couldn't stay. Uh, right. When I finished my residency, looking for a job, I couldn't find one. Uh, as I said, those who had jobs there, some of them were not getting paid, so they were leaving. Right. So I couldn't go. Uh, so it's it's almost like for a second time, I was going through the same emotional experiences of, okay, I'm going to be separated. Now it's going to be like for a long, long time. Uh, but I was a little bit better equipped because I already had some friends here. Um, and so it wasn't as bad, but it was, at, uh, yeah. you know, it's, it's just like when you, you, you know you're going to lose something, but when you lose it, it, it it's different. Um, even, yes, it's touching. It's it's different. So for me, it was just the realization that, oh, okay, I'm not going to go back. Um, and I didn't know whether or not I was going to be able to go back. So right. uh, it was like a second, uh, second time that I was going through that. And um, uh, so I had to make an adjustment. Now I'm going to stay here. This is going to be home. And um, so I had to adapt. I, you know, started bringing some of my family members here. Uh, when was, uh, once I got to Rochester and uh, started practicing, um, my um, younger brother was the first person that uh, managed to come here and, and join me. But uh, over the years, I've had um, uh, multiple nieces and nephews who have come um, and had their kids. You know, it's been a while. And so um, it, it took me a long time. But after when I had a nucleus of um, folks here, um, Rochester became home. And so when, whenever somebody asks me now, where, where are you from? I say Rochester, <laughs> uh, but um, it, it's, I can't tell you exactly when that happened, but mm -hmm. um, it, it probably within the past 20 years, because at the very beginning, I, I, I was just passing through. I was passing through. So, but um, now yeah. uh, this is home and um still have a lot of connections uh, to to yeah. the Congo. So the way I look at it is that uh, Congo is my home, my homeland, and uh, the U.S. is my adopted home. Yes. Yes. So I feel very comfortable and I can, I can, I'm comfortable here with all of the issues that 
you know, we all experience uh, like, the issues of racism. I was going to ask you about that. Xenophobia and all of that. We experience that, but it's it's home. Mm. And nobody's going to tell me otherwise. Um, I but love yes, and then, um, uh, you know, but the Congo is, is, is home. That's where I, I grew up. I had my yeah. formative years and that's where my soul uh, is. So, uh, yeah. Yes, and and I love that you're sharing this because I think that's the beauty of the immigration journey, right? It's forming a new home. It's still having two homes or even more and, and yes. adding those those things and those experiences to our life. And you you touched briefly on the struggles, and that was actually my next question was, was going to be about challenges and struggles that you have faced. And, and what, do you, what can you speak to immigrants and non-immigrants that listen to this podcast as, you know, the impact that those things had in, in your life, um, either if it was discrimination, if it was not feeling welcome, if it was some of the challenges that some immigrants can experience? Yeah, in terms of the uh, uh, challenges, as you said, we touched on some of those. Yeah. One is the um, uh, the, the fact that you don't speak the language, and some of the uh, uh, cultural things are foreign to you. Yeah. The um, the fact that you are isolated from family, friends, from the environment that you know that you can relate to. So those things, um, we I, I would say most of us do experience, some more than others. Right. And um, the uh, issues of, um, you know, being a uh, foreigner, it's interesting because when I came, I really... I didn't gravitate to, you know, black people being black. I didn't gravitate to white people. Um, I, I related more to international students. And I thought that I had more in common with them than with either the native um, yeah. whites or blacks here. Uh, Such so, an important point. Mm -hmm. Yes, I related um, more to them because again as I said I thought we had more in common the, the, the interesting thing and I think this is important really for people who experience some of these anti you know foreigner uh, xenophobia uh, and racism and stuff for me that was a given I mean I knew that mm -hmm. these issues were prevalent some areas, they're clearer than others. They are more open. Others, they are kind of a little bit in the background. They're more systemic. They're subtle, but they are there. So I think it's important to acknowledge that. And um, I, I would say, fortunately for me, that is something that I was aware of, that I acknowledged, but I did not accept. And I want to make a distinction between acknowledging and accepting it. So I acknowledging it actually allowed me to navigate around it. Mm -hmm. uh, in other words, I mean, if I know, uh, you know, in some area where, um, <laughs> I was going to make a joke, but, you know, they, go they, ahead. they're going to be beating me up. I mean, I just don't go there, right? Mm -hmm. If um, 
um, if I know that, I'll, yeah. I'll give you a more um, a personal uh, example. I mean, if I know in, in school, for instance, that if I make a mistake, somebody's going to look at it through a different prism. They're going to say, well, you know, this, this black African is probably not that smart anyway. Mm-hmm. Whereas if somebody else, um, let's say a white Norwegian made the same mistake, they would probably look at it differently. They will look at it as uh, maybe he's tired. Uh, maybe um, he just lost current uh, electricity. So maybe that's why he didn't do his homework. I was aware of those kinds of things and, and they did happen. But what it allowed me to do in terms of adapting to those kinds of things is just to work hard. You work harder so that they don't become an issue because it's going to take a while to change some of these things. I mean, to address some of the, you know, the racism and injustices. But in the meantime, you got to function within that system. So, um, uh, so I, I, again, I think the important thing is not to be blind to it, not to let it consume you, you know, and and, and using that as an excuse for. All, all kinds of things, right? Yeah. So it shouldn't yeah. be used as an excuse, as a crutch. You know, don't 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 become a victim and relish yeah. in being a victim. You know that it's there, but deal with it. Um, it when you can do something to change or whatever, but uh, uh, you gotta have your eyes open to that. Uh, so yes, uh, you can't you know, stop it. Yes. Yes. You um, you have to acknowledge it. That's that's uh, that's the main thing. And then, you know, as I said, whenever possible, um, you know, try to do something to change. Um, yeah. But uh, adapt. I mean, you know, the the system is not going to change overnight. But in the adapt. meantime, you know, you got to make a living. Thank you so much for those words. I think it's so important the distinction you're making and, and the necessity that we have to survive within the system. So we have to find ways to adapt and continue to move forward. Um, nice. I I can not touch on your memoir because I think this is a big part of what I wanted to talk about today. And so Can't Let Go, A Journey from the Heart of Africa to America. Can you tell us a little bit more about it? When did you start writing it? And what can people find there? What what I think the inspiration is is clear and is part of what you have in sharing. Yes, I um, started writing or thinking about writing seriously, uh, you know, the past few years. Uh, we were just talking about issues of... Uh, uh, immigration, anti-immigration, um, you know, building walls and uh, xenophobia and, you know, the, uh, the issues with the Black Lives Matters. I mean, so all of those things um, were kind of going through my head and um, just pushed me to do a little bit of introspection and, and and analyze my own journey and see where I came from, where I am, how, why I did certain things, why I made certain decisions. So the reason I wrote was, I mean, first of all, I 
wanted to document my history. Uh, as I mentioned to you, I do have now a lot of nephews, nieces, some of them born here, some of them really have n n no idea. I, you know, I have a nephew, when you ask him, where are you from? He says from Africa, but he was, he was born here. He, he identifies with Africa, but doesn't know very much about the Congo. Mm -hmm. So I wanted to write something that now they could look at now, they could look at you know, 50 years from now. So yes. documentation was something that was important. And uh, I have to give my wife credit for that because she had been pushing me for <laughs> for a long time. She said, well, you know, you're the first one here. You know, you're the first one in Rochester. You're the first one this. You have to. So, um, so that was a big Thank part you to her. <laughs> yes. But um, as I said, the, the uh, final impetus to start writing were all of these uh, internal deliberations that I was going through that I thought, um, uh, in a way, they were kind of healing for me because I was going through my own feelings and trying to um, understand them and understand some of the reasons why I did certain things. And so it was help, um, healing for me. And... Um, uh, and as I said, healing, cathartic, and uh, I, you know, at, at the end, I realized, well, you know, somebody can actually relate to some of these uh, experiences. So, to the extent that they can, and to the extent that it may be helpful, that would be a good thing to do. So, I decided yes. to let the ink flow, and, and I started writing about two years ago. I love it. Thank you for sharing it, and and thank you for documenting all of those things i think it's something that we can all find helpful and a support is to hear a different story and something that maybe i'm sure people will connect um what would you say is something that immigrants can find when they're reading your your memoir hopefully they would there are a lot of messages hopefully that we'll get i mean you know because yeah. i we've touched on some of the experiences uh, um, that I've gone through, but at the same time, we have to understand that we come here with under different circumstances. I mean, yes. you know, I came uh, as a student, uh, a lot of the um, immigrants that are coming in today, especially from the Congo, they're coming in, running away from war, especially in the eastern part of the Congo. Right. So they're coming because they either running away from war, being persecuted, being oppressed, uh, so those uh, those um, kind of experiences are a little bit different, but the messages are, totally. I think, universal. In other words, you know you're going to be facing challenges. And whatever circumstances brought you here, you're going to be separated from what you know, from your home, from your uh, friends or family, whatever. Uh, so um, trying to... As, as early as possible, trying to network, trying to yes. find people that you can connect with at some level uh, so that you have that safe space where you can just mm -hmm. go in and unwind and distress. I think that is extremely important. So I also want them to understand, especially uh, the ones that are coming in, that uh, and English is, is their second or third or fourth language that is that it's extremely important the i i know people unfortunately who've been in this country three years four years five years yeah. and and you know when they come to my office for instance they have to come with an interpreter i mean 
yeah. you know that is uh, you need you need to learn the language which at the same time allows you to learn a little bit more about the culture so that you can adapt the better i mean the sooner the better yeah, yeah. so yeah, trying to make that effort to get in. I mean, at this and at the same time, you try to do that without losing yourself, right? You you you, you try to learn the place, learn the language, learn the environment as fast as as quickly as you can, and and but try to do that at the same time with knowing who you are and not yeah. not losing your identity and uh, it's it's a little balancing act but it is yeah. extremely important um, to do um I, I also want them to realize i mean this america with all of its uh, blemishes i mean it's it's a it's a land of opportunity yeah and and i i, I want I, I encourage anybody that i can that i see you you got to take advantage of the opportunity. I mean, yeah. right? This is called a land of opportunity, because again, I know some who come in. Maybe they've been fighting so hard for so many years to just get here, and then mm. they get here. It's like, oof, I've arrived. And again, years later, they're still doing whatever little job they were doing, you know, because. Uh, you know, when they were back wherever they came from, and they probably weren't working or they were making a couple of dollars an hour. Uh, yes. They come here, they have a job, maybe they, they have a car, whatever, and, and they just content. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, I I want them to to dream dream higher. Uh, you, you know, think a little bit uh, better. So, um, you know, th- those kinds of things hopefully will come through as you know when they read the uh, the book. Um, uh, they know that I mean, again, there are these all of these struggles that uh, we uh, uh, talked about. Uh, yeah. But um, uh, you know, you have to understand uh, I, I, at least uh, they have to understand that they and believe that. They belong here, you know. When they come here, they they you really have to even even if you have to push yourself and keep saying yes, I belong here. You belong here because guess what? I mean, except for the Native Americans, we're all immigrants, right? <laughs> we are. We are. So you you gotta you you come in, you know. Despite what um, somebody else may say, we, we're all immigrants. So uh, you, you know, have that you know self-esteem and whatever else, so that you you don't really get stuck in um, this belonging you know struggle that a lot yeah. of people have. I mean, I I I belong here. I yes. Belong here. So um, so powerful. You know, yeah, somebody may have been here a generation ago, but they, yeah, they also came from somewhere else, right? Yeah, yeah. their parents so came another two or three generations. As I said, I, we we have some of uh, our uh, nephews and grands and who don't even know where the Congo. They've never been there, so right. For them, but that's in our blood. It's in our. It's we need yes. to acknowledge that. Mm-hmm. We need to acknowledge that. Yeah. So, uh, so hopefully, some of those. Uh, themes uh, will come through and uh, they can relate to uh, uh, as well. Thank you. Yeah, thank you for sharing that. And 
just thinking about how thera therapeutic can be the process of writing your own story and reading it and how much you can heal while you're also seeing all the things you have been able to accomplish. Where yes, can we find the book? Is there, and I, I would like you to share that information because we want to support if there's any specific website or any specific way that if we do it through there, it's better than other, than other ways. Uh, I mean, in terms of the, um, of the book, Yes, where can we find it? Yes, uh, I mean, uh, the book is available through uh, Amazon. Great. Um, uh, there are some people actually who are getting it through uh, Alibaba. It's available through uh, Barnes and Nobles. Perfect. Uh, so um, Barnes and Nobles, I mean, so far, I think uh, Amazon is working out the best. Okay, that's what I wanted to know, for you to tell us yeah. what's the best way. Yes. So, um, and and one of the things that I I, I guess I um, since you talked about support, one of the things that came out of writing the book mm -hmm. is that um, we have a foundation. I had a foundation that uh, my family uh, and I uh, started uh, in 2001. It's called okay. the RTSD Foundation, Rafael Chibangu, Sherry Chibangu, uh, but it kind of evolved. Um, we um, we did a lot of things for the first, um, uh, I'll say, 10 years or so. And then over the past few years, kind of um, slowed down to a few scholarships here and there that we were giving. But uh, in the process of writing the book, I kind of realized that um, um, I'm going to revitalize the foundation. Uh, and, and this is part of what can't let go really means. I don't want to let go of my family, of my community, of my country. I can't, I can't let go. Yeah. Right. So uh, as part of that is uh, the foundation that um, we are um, making a big push uh, for this time. And the, uh, uh, the goal is to, build a few uh, diagnostic and uh, urgent care centers in, uh, in the Congo, uh, mm -hmm. a few places that we've already identified. So that's my, um, uh, that's, that's the um, culmination of uh, writing the book. Uh, it was, uh, again, you know, documenting, sharing uh, my experiences and actually, and, and tracing the path for me as I, uh, Yes. looking towards retiring and uh, looking at the sunset. So right. uh, RTSC Foundation is it. Um, awesome. So, so we can look it up. Yes. And rtscfoundation.org is, um, uh, again, we had we do have a website. Uh, right. I may have mentioned, I, I did mention it in the book. Uh, so, you know, people can look at that as well. Perfect. So, that is so and amazing. That's one of those ways that you can again stay connected. I mean, you exactly. know, you, you immigrate and you feel like, uh, how can I give you, back? Yes, yeah. how can I give back? I mean, so that's one of the ways. That is yeah. an amazing way, and it's a beautiful way to 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 learn. I think to end this wonderful interview, I think ended with this message of that exactly what you're saying. We can leave. But that doesn't mean that we're going to let go, right? We can emigrate. We can explore life in a different country. We can form a family somewhere else. But that doesn't mean you're leaving 
away or you're letting go from your roots, from where you you come from, that's always going to be with us. Well, you sound like you read the book already. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to get it because I don't know if you know, but we have a book club in this podcast community. Ah. So I... Every time I interview authors, we really like to encourage reading their books and and when they're about immigration, even better, because that's our topic. So I'm really excited to get in it and exploring it with other listeners. Yes, absolutely. That would be wonderful. That would be wonderful. And and, uh, uh, it's it's a title that that means something uh, to me that is, you know, a couple of words, but it, it says a lot about uh, what I was thinking about, what I was going through, what I want to do. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and 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 part of it is that um, I, I can't let go, not in a negative way, but, you know, right now it's just, I, I feel good. I, I can't let go. It's, you know. I love it. Yes. Yeah. Because I think that's a, um, a struggle that I have here in so many other interviews of like feeling some sort of guilt for letting go and there's no need to there is no need to yeah there is no need to so thank now you. i know you read the book and because <laughs> there's a section about guilt in there <laughs> i secretly <laughs> read it no i really <laughs> oh rafael this has been such an honor for me to have you here to well, listen to part of your story i know there's so much more but i'm gonna get into the book and i can't wait for people to listen to this interview so thank you so much for being here well uh, i'm the one that should be thanking you for the uh, opportunity it was really a pleasure talking with you well let's stay connected